Hello and welcome. This is the Yoga Revolution podcast. My name is Jeevana Heyman. My pronouns are he and him. This podcast is an exploration of how we can live yoga right now and how we can apply the yoga teachings in our lives. We'll discuss the intersection of yoga and social justice, as well as how to build a practice that supports our activism. All my guests are contributors to my new book, Yoga Revolution, Building a Practice of Courage and Compassion. Thanks so much for joining me. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of our podcast. I'm so excited today to have a special guest. Susanna Barkataki is here. Uh, she's actually the first contributor to the book that I'm having as a guest on the podcast. And I just want to tell you a bit about her. Um, Susanna is an Indian yoga practitioner in the Shankacharya tradition who supports practitioners to lead with equity, diversity, and yogic values while growing thriving practices and businesses with confidence. She's founder of Ignite Yoga and Wellness Institute and runs 200 and 500 hour yoga teacher training programs. Uh, she's an ERYT 500 certified yoga therapist and author of the amazing book, Embrace Yoga's Roots, Courageous Ways to Deepen Your Yoga Practice. Um, she's just an amazing educator, and I love talking to her so much. Welcome, Susanna. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Juvena. I'm excited for this conversation. Me too, and thanks so much for contributing to the book. I was just so excited to have your um, to have you be a part of this project. You know, as you know, it was the book is kind of a it's my story and everything, but I really tried to bring in a lot of voices and I was so excited when you agreed to be a part of it. And I love what you shared. I wondered if we could start with that, if you would be willing to share what you wrote in the book. Could you read that for us? I would love to. And I really appreciated when you reached out to me and asked me to share a story. Mm -hmm. And so here's what I wrote. As someone raised within the yoga tradition, there is no distinction between yoga, seva, and social justice. My Aita, my paternal grandmother from Assam, Lakshmi Devi Barkataki, served anyone who came by her doorstep. She embodies seva, which means generous service. Whatever leads us towards unity is yoga. My Jetai, my father's elder sister, embodies care and action in the face of injustice. Whatever causes separation within ourselves or with others is not yoga. Yoga is something that I learned how to be, not just do. Unity isn't some idealistic dream that we can just wish into being. Skipping over the often divided reality that we live within isn't the solution. Pretending separation and suffering don't exist is not the fastest way to unity. This is why yoga naturally emerges in practice as a science of care, equity, and justice. I aim to address the causes of separation to practice yoga as unity. Hmm. That's so amazing. Thanks for sharing that. I, I'm so excited that that's in the book. And yeah. such a sweet picture of you there actually teaching. Um, I don't know if you, people can't see that, but it, there's an image in the book of you um, smiling. I think you're holding light on yoga, maybe mm -hmm. um, teaching like you're always doing. 
So I was wondering if you could just share more about that. Um, I mean, there's so many, you make so many points in there. Um, actually, I kind of want to just start at the end, though, because you talk about um, practicing yoga as unity. And I think it's really beautiful the way you kind of um, threaded that idea in there, because generally everyone defaults to that. Oh, yoga is yoking together and un unity. But in so many ways, it's not what we're doing, you know. Mm. Um, but you've made it clear. I wonder if you could say more about that. Like, how how is it that you see yoga as unity beyond that kind of surface interpretation that we often hear? Right. I mean, I just think about how there's so many ways that actually the times we're causing suffering for others are when we're disconnected or hurting ourselves, or at least for myself, you know, when I'm feeling misunderstood or rejected or not belonging or not seen, that's when I create the conditions for those types of things to exist for others. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about yoga as unity, absolutely, I have to work or like care for, tend the hurt and disconnected parts of myself as I'm doing that in the world. And so I do, I really think of like who I wrote about my, uh, my Jatai, like life was not easy for my grandmother. She was an orphan mm. and she had children very young in her early teens. Mm. Um, yeah. And yet though she was, in many ways, you know, struggling and, and suffering and hurting, she also cared for others. And part of her way of finding meaning or kind of purpose or connection that really was connected to the divine, was connected to, to God and whatever name, you know, uh, or name she was giving to that, that force, um, she was connecting herself to herself and herself to others through service. And so it can sound really grand, but it's also like the little moments of tending, the moments of connection, the moaning, moments of turning towards. I think of my aunt, you know, the, the eldest daughter of my grandmother, um, Lakshmi Devi Barkataki. So my, my aunt, uh, who I call Jetai, but her name is Maya. And um, every time as a child growing up, you know, as an immigrant, I was an immigrant to the United States from England, and my aunt was who helped bring us here. She made us feel welcome, you know, even though we were from England, even though I was mixed, even though, you know, I was a kid and then like a probably a punk teenager. Um, <laughs> I always felt the warmth and the like open heartedness and the turning towards. And, you know, once she told me, um, you know, your father, like he does this and that, you know, he's had different choices than I have around the family, around traditions, around, you know, but I love him, you know, and, and just that like acceptance of unity doesn't mean we have to be the same, but I grew up with this felt experience, you know, even when I wasn't able to receive it, um, this felt experience of yoga as unity within 
a living, breathing practice of these these matriarchs, these mm. you know women in in my family. That's awesome. I love that what you just said. Unity doesn't have to be the same. That like unity isn't the same as like oneness necessarily or all equal. It's more like there's this there's this connecting thread, and yet we have very different like diverse experiences. It reminds me of. Um, Something I mentioned in the book, actually, is my teacher's teacher, uh, Swami Shivananda, used to talk mm-hmm. about unity and diversity. And seeing the unity and diversity is the goal of yoga, that you see that connecting divine essence beyond the diversity of the world and the diversity of nature. Uh, and it sounds like your family was doing that, right? Like, that's what your mm-hmm. your aunt was able to do. She accepted your dad, right? Is that what you're saying? That's yeah, beautiful, she accepted my dad. I accepted so many, so many, mm-hmm. you know, and... And because of that, it's like, I learned on some level, the, the cellular experience of Mm. unity of acceptance, even while being different and feeling different and feeling separated. And so I also think, you know, unity in yoga doesn't mean we have to push away or reject the parts of us that aren't whole or that feel inadequate, or that feel insecure, or have imposter syndrome, you know, I think, because I know a lot of folks who listen, and who read your book, and and hopefully will love it, you know, um, we're (laughs) yoga teachers, and and yoga practitioners, and, uh, and most of us, including myself, I don't know about you, but I experienced so much insecurity, so much imposter syndrome, so much like self-judgment, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just started this podcast and I listened back to the first episode and I thought, what am I doing? Right. (laughs) Right. But you just keep going. Yeah. So what's your advice about that? Well, it's not even, I mean, it's just like unity isn't, doesn't exclude insecurity. Mm. Right. I or or okay. lack of wholeness. So like when I look at myself or, or even within my family, you know, it's not perfect, right? There are things that are not like my grandmother, my aunt are very warm, welcoming, but there's other things, you know, there's, there's yeah. every family is unique and, and has their dynamics, but yeah. it's more like, how can we tend to the parts in ourselves just even by bringing awareness to the disconnection or the separation or the judgment or the insecurity, um, but not make that mean we're not worthy to do what we're doing. But like you said, just keep going, you know? Mm. Um, and that's, I think, how we come back to actual unity is mm-hmm. it's almost like yoga for me is like feeling the lack or the division or the, the ah yoga, the not yoga, the not connection. And then moving in the direction of connection anyway. Right. And and you're saying, I think what you're saying is that the way, part of the way towards further connection is by accepting the difficult parts and the, the ugly parts of ourself or the part that we push away. Um, I think that's, is that what you're saying? That like wholeness comes from not being like perfect and everything is good, but actually this full, ex- more acceptance yeah exactly yeah yeah and, and that. that's so much what i think my work is about because of experiencing mm-hmm. so you know a lot of separation in my life yeah, a lot of disconnection and racial violence and 
you know. Mm -hmm. And so my practice of yoga has been steeped in needing to not say, oh, we're all one, everything's wonderful, because that wasn't my lived experience at all. It, It was very different. And then I had to reconcile and make sense of a practice that's all about unity in a world that was so troubled, which I think now, you know, very few people have that illusion that we're post-racial. You know, I think many Mm. more of us, whatever our positionality, understand there's like trans discrimination, there's discrimination against queer folks, there's, you know, like gender discrimination, racial discrimination. I think we're like the dominant society validates to those of us Mm -hmm. who've been on the margins that, yeah, like what we experience is real. It doesn't have the solution necessarily, but there's more validation. Right. And like you said in in your quote, you said pretending separation and suffering don't exist is not the fastest way to unity. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I think it's true that the, the ultimate goal of yoga is to reduce suffering, right? I mean, that's what, the practice is really for and yet it's not like you said it's not through pretending and spiritual bypassing which is something that i I mean i talk about in the book later but it's interesting Mm -hmm. that it's coming up in our conversation right now because i think that is in a way it's a way of it's almost like we need to go back to the tradition to the ancient teachings and find that truth because the way that western yoga has been is being taught is really with that kind of superficial spiritual bypassing tone of oneness and good vibes only focus on the physical and performance. And I think the, the suffering in life, we think, oh, we should avoid that in yoga. And that's not the case. It's actually through processing the, the difficult parts and the pain. That's how we address the suffering by speaking out when we see harm being done. Um, that's how we practice right. yoga. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I have more questions for you. Yeah. I, um, you know, I wonder if you could talk about that, about your work around cultural appropriation. I know everyone asks you that question, but <laughs> I, um, I can't help but ask a little bit about that. Um, it feels like connected to the stories you're telling about your family, um, this kind of, it feels like you are always speaking up for your ancestors and for your family and for all of those who've been kind of disregarded or oppressed. Is that, is that true? You think? You know, I do speak a lot about my family and, and I think it's because it's an important part of why I'm here is to center to center the experiences of those who have been kind of left out and actually intentionally erased from what it means to practice yoga Mm -hmm. at all in the West. And so I, I do end up talking about our experiences or my teacher's experiences. And, and I, I was really reflecting on this. I, I think it's important to do in a way that other people can feel like they find a way in or like a way to see their relationship to the practice or to the traditions and other people's experiences, like a way that's inviting, you know? So, so kind of like 
just for example, right? If I meet someone just on the street, you know, or a coffee shop or something, not that we do that that much anymore, but outside, you know, and they're like, oh, you're a yoga teacher. Yeah, I do yoga too. It's not like I'm going to say, you know, like I love hot power yoga and and the sweat and workout I get. I'm not going to, if they're wow, be like, well, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, but I might say, oh, that's so great. Yes. Asana is amazing. And I really enjoy it too. You know, nowadays I'm often doing restorative practices or, you know, whatever. And there's so much more to yoga. Do you know about that? You know, have you heard about yoga ethics? Do you know about yoga as a, as a way of being, as a lifestyle? And, and more like exploring with curiosity. Um, when I have time, when I have patience, when I have like the spoons essentially to do all that. And, and then, so that's kind of the role I, I, I see that I play in the yoga world mm-hmm. is like a, we've gotten here p.s we got here because of colonial colonialism white supremacy you know and like neoliberalism and there's so much more that's actually you know you talk about this in your book it's like this is a practice that can lead us to reducing personal suffering and suffering in the world maybe it's you know it's not a panacea it's not going to fix everything but it can certainly help us on that path and right. I, I'm really passionate about, about that. And so I don't get tired of talking about those things. No. So you can always ask me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, what you just said really connected with me because I do think that was my main intention with this book is to f- try to connect people to the ways that their practice is both internal and external. And that mm. there's, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of confusion there about that around the relationship between your internal spiritual practice and your actions in the world. I wonder if you have any thoughts about that. Like, what is the connection like for you or is is it the same? So you are you, so the confusion that, that you're seeing folks have, can you explain it a little more? Yeah. Like I think people don't see that their actions in the world are also their yoga practice. We think of spiritual practice as just the internal part. And often, you know, I think Mm -hmm. the story we hear about the tradition of yoga is mostly a monastic tradition, even though that's not the only one that there was. But today, most of us aren't monks. And so, and yet we're almost practicing in a way that's more monastic, where we think, oh, this is just an internal thing where I'm just trying to find peace in myself. That's what I'm practicing for without really making the connection between our actions, like the way the story of the Gita and about karma and um, service and seva, like you mentioned in your um, contribution. Just, I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of confusion or misunderstanding about that relationship between our internal spiritual practice and our actions. Yeah, there really is. And I think that's connected so much to this idea of like an individual who can pull Mm. themselves up by their bootstraps and, you know, succeed in, in capitalist frameworks. And, and when we know that's not really how it works, you know, without a lot of privilege and luck and, and other things, but we've written that story onto the yoga narrative. And so yoga is there 
to help you like not feel depressed or to, you know, and I'm not saying this sincerely. It's like, it's, it's sold to us as this cure for anxiety or depression or sleeplessness or whatever, like to get a better body. But all of those things are, although yoga may impact any of those things, uh, it was never intended as a practice for just individual um, kind of like, like repairing the individual is more for an individual in relationship to a community, even the renunciates often mm-hmm. were fed by their communities for decades, even, you know, their whole lives, because mm-hmm. the understanding was that that renunciate was giving back, you know, through their teachings, through their practice, through guiding other other practitioners to was giving back to the community. And so I kind of think about it, you know, for example, with a particular practice like mudra, which is like the gesture, gestural practice of yoga. So for example, if, you know, like yan mudra, where you bring your thumb, so you folks can't see me, but you can bring your thumb and pointer finger together. If, um, if you can't do that movement, or you want to modify or have a, a different practice, you could um, bring a limb to another part of your body and experience groundedness or a feeling of like solidity in some way. Um, so just offering options there. So with Gyan Mudra, this is a mudra of focus, a mudra of connection with the mind and the body and is often used in meditation. Mudra though can be gross, gross meaning like the physical body, you know, it can be subtle. You can hold a mudra in your mind and it can be experiential, like the without even needing to do it in any kind of form. And so it's almost like we've gotten attached, you know, we've said like the gross part, the physical part of yoga is all of what yoga is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just all need to go around doing these shapes and doing these things and we'll be good. But actually there's so much more to it. There's the, the experiential part, you know, of internalizing the experience without even needing to do anything with your body. So you, you don't have to move to experience the mudra of gyan, of, of focus uh, at all. Um, and, and so because, I don't know if you can hear my kiddo in the background, I just <laughs> think that's funny. Well, it's a life of a householder there. Yes, it is, right? It's like, and so for me, for example, I'll just, you know, be real with everyone because folks also might be in this. It's like, we got the call today. It's not my kid who has COVID, but another kiddo in the camp has COVID. And so now he's home and not at camp. And so in that moment, okay, the external practice caring for the situation. The internal practice is like, how do I self-regulate myself and handle this thing where I'm feeling all sorts of things, but his experience is totally different and and Mm -hmm. make this a growing and learning experience together. Um, So there's so many ways to practice Um, every opportunity, you know, whether we're partnered or parenting or at work or with our friends um, that's an opportunity to practice yoga. Yeah, thanks for that. And you yeah, share yeah, that yeah. in your book. You know, I mean, <laughs> I your do, book yeah. is all about that. It's like yeah. your life experience, the losses you face, the struggles that you've 
you've gone through, you know, is, has been your practice, has shaped your practice and then became your practice. Right. And that's why I wrote the book. I mean, I wanted to share that piece that I just feel like in contemporary practice is sometimes lost that people still have this misunderstanding that yoga is just happening inside of us, which is mostly true, but also through our actions. And I think you described it beautifully, like what's happening when you, you had to go get your son from camp. And it's like what you're, you're doing something externally in the way you respond to the, to the camp counselors and to your son, but also you're internally also processing and regulating at the same time. And what I tried to share in the book is that the, a regular practice, like you described with the mudra, like a, a practice of asana, pranayama, meditation, the internal aspects of, of yoga can kind of prepare us and are essential for, for that self-regulation so that when we move out into the world, we can do so more consciously um, and through connection, you know, so that we don't always lash out at our partner when we're frustrated. Maybe we realize, oh, wait, I'm just frustrated right now. It's not you. You know, like that kind of awareness I tried to share in the book that it's, it's that constant going inside and then going back out, you know, there's going in and out that I try to share in the book, um, this kind of um, dance that yoga is for me of internal observation and self-awareness and external action in a conscious way. Yeah. 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 Um, I wonder if, do you feel like people get that? I mean, do you feel like when you're teaching that your students understand that? that you know, I do. I do. It takes a lot of, you know, it's kind of like, there's some philosopher, I need to look up who said this, who said the light dawns slowly over the hole, you know? And mm. I remember being in logic class. I had to take logic to get my BA in philosophy and the light was not dawning, you know? I just was not <laughs> understanding logic. It wasn't making sense. I was failing the class. And another teacher who taught a different kind of philosophy was like, don't worry, you'll get there. And I just kept showing up. And eventually I understood enough. I don't remember what I got, maybe a C or a B. I can't remember, but I passed logic. And I feel like it's that same process sometimes. It's like, we'll think that we get it. And then we'll be in the middle of like, say a yoga teacher training or a training and like pushing ourselves and going really hard and feeling really inadequate before not finishing a project or not watching the, the videos or, you know, not mm. like having enough accessible cues and then like, it'll be like, oh, right, this is practice too, mm -hmm. you know? And so I get to sort of steward the experience of all those breakthroughs, mm -hmm. all those ahas um, again and again and again and again, because it actually is like, Thich Nhat Hanh, one of my teachers talks about watering seeds, you know, it's like that seed of self-compassion, that seed of ahimsa, that seed of non-harm. Um, I'm literally looking at in your book, like where you said, that's the heart of ahimsa, non-harm. Uh -huh. Supporting yeah. oppressive systems is unethical. It's our job as yoga practitioners to speak up against suffering wherever we see it, right? Like yeah. that's a seed that needs watering. Like the first time you spoke up, I'm sure hmm. it was like, terrifying you know yeah. and and then you just kept doing it and and that seed got watered and it was the same for me it's probably the same for many of our students and and so living yoga 
part of why this is so much fun to do with folks like you, you know, and the folks, yeah. other folks you have in the book that you've interviewed are, and are talking to and had contribute is because we water each other's seeds. Mm-hmm. And then the students water our seeds, you know, and, yeah. and then we kind of go in this cycle of like a, a virtuous cycle of reaffirming a more whole and mm-hmm. full-hearted practice of yoga and yeah. just living. Yeah. And you mentioned Thich Nhat Hanh and I'm, I was just, I quote him in the book a few times. I mentioned him a few times mm. in the book and I have a really beautiful poem by him. Mm. Um, Call me by my true names. I don't know if you know that one, but. <sighs> He, he is such an inspiration to me. And actually, I, I feel like what he shows in his work is an engaged spiritual practice, like engaged Buddhism, mm-hmm. which he really he created, mm-hmm. um, I feel like has been lacking in the yoga world, at least until recently. I feel like you you are part of, you know, this growing movement of um, social justice activists in the yoga community who are, you know, what I would consider practicing an engaged yoga, kind of like an engaged Buddhism of Thich Nhat Hanh. And I, I feel like not only is it about awareness of social justice and how that's part of our practice in the external form, but I feel like it actually is also a nod to tradition. It actually connects back to the truths of the teachings in a way. So I feel like, you know how sometimes when you you kind of have an aha moment, I feel like to me the aha is that practicing yoga and connecting to the truth of of, of the teachings and the history of yoga makes me more... Uh, of an activist it makes me more of a um, seeker for justice in the world. You know, I realize more and more mm-hmm. that that's what I feel like there's a call in these teachings, uh, like this ancient, I don't know, ancient call. Is that the word? Like a echo that has been kind of ignored and that people are finally hearing. Um, and I feel like you're one of the loudest and most clear voices for that. And I'm just so grateful to you. And it, it makes sense that you're a student of Thich Nhat Hanh because I can feel that. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe that's what I'm feeling too in your work. Yeah. I mean, Thich Nhat Hanh absolutely has influenced me. I'm ordained in his order of interbeing. Mm-hmm. So I have made a commitment to uh, sharing the Dharma, the teachings, the practice, to building community to standing for personal and collective liberation uh, that isn't just about any one religion. And I think that's really important too. Sometimes when talking about yoga and tradition, people think I'm saying, or, you know, you might be saying like, but you have to practice a certain religion. And it's not that, like, if you look at the, the early Shramana traditions, they were rebelling against organize the ways that religion had kind of taken connection with the divine out of the hands of the population, uh, the general population and put it into the priestly class, you know? And, and so they were like saying many, many of the renunciate practitioners were exploring ways to connect directly. And then through the years, you know, when you look at um, different, um, different, there's always just been so many different ways to practice yoga. Um, The bhakti, many bhakti yogis Mm. who were, you know, like taking, like stripping off, whether it's clothing or words Mm. and just like expressing through poetry or music, Mm -hmm. the experience of, of Kaivalya, of of unity, of oneness, of liberation. Mm. And 
you know, then my teacher in India, who um, is a yoga teacher, he's in the Shankaracharya tradition, as you mentioned at the beginning, but his main work is working with Dalit folks and outcast folks who mm. never would have been taught, but, you know, these practices or these teachings, they wouldn't have been taught the texts like the Bhagavad Gita, which you quote in the book or the yoga sutras. Um, and he takes the teaching that was sort of put into this elite group of, of people in terms of access and is sharing it amongst anyone who wants to learn. And so I met him, I met Thich Nhat Hanh, was like, oh yeah, you're, this kind of practice makes sense. And so there is a way, you know, that Thich Nhat Hanh has revolutionized Buddhism for our time or that, you know, Shankarji, my teacher is revolutionizing yoga in a context where some people don't like it because they still want the practice to just be mm. for the elite. And in a way you can draw a parallel to us in the West, right? Like mm -hmm. been cisgender, bendy, flexible, privileged in all the ways, you know, access, money, all those things. And, and I think you're right. Like you, this book, all of the things you describe in terms of your life experience and the struggles with, like the absolute horrors of the AIDS crisis and the way that our world really let folks down, right? Yeah. Like that, that is a revolution. I mean, I love that your book is called Yoga Revolution. It's like how to go through that and still love humanity enough hmm. to be like, oh, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Like you weren't here for me, you know, but I'm here for you and your liberation. And that for me, Jeevan, I, I just... Like, I can't wait for people to read your book because it's such a powerful story. And I know that, you know, you tell other people's stories and you allow space for the stories in the text, you know, and many different voices emerge in your book. But I just want to like, I'm, I want to kind of uplift and celebrate your story and, and the story of what it is to continue to have an open heart and to do what you do and, and remain hopeful mm. and present despite so much loss. Mm. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I, I hadn't thought of it that way exactly, but I, I think it's true that that's my practice, you know, is to yeah. continue to be, to expose myself to the world over and over again. And I think that's yoga to me is like knowing that you're, and I actually talk about this in the book too, like knowing that we're going to experience pain, we continue to love and let ourselves be loved. It's it's such a powerful practice of yoga to expose ourselves that way. You know, even though you know you're going to hurt later um, yeah. or now, you're going to be hurting now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for that. So sweet. Um, okay, I just had one more question for you because I, yeah. I don't know if you realize I quote you in the book much later. You probably haven't found it. It's near the end of the no, book. No, I haven't gotten there yet. Okay. What did you say? Um, <laughs> so I was talking about creativity and I quoted one of my favorite quotes from you, which is that you say, an, an alternative to cultural appropriation is creativity. And I talk about um, creativity means we're connecting to life force and connecting to spirit. Because I, you know, my background is in art and in painting and drawing, and and I, f I totally feel that like creativity is spirituality for me. 
you know, mm. there's really not a separation there. And so when you said mm. that, I was just like, ah, aha, like it was such an aha moment for me when I read that. I think you had one of your many, many, many incredible posts on social media. By the way, if anyone listening is not following you on social media, they're missing out on a lot of brilliance and fun. Um, a lot of fun. I have a lot, a lot of, fun. of fun. And dance brilliant. and talk about all these <laughs> intense issues. <laughs> oh my God, it's incredible. Amazing. Seriously, talk about creativity. Yeah. You had a you had a monkey face on social media the other day. You had like you were talking about monkey mind and you had yourself as like a cartoon monkey talking. It was so funny. Yeah. Uh, you're just cracking me yeah. up. I can't so. take myself too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do sometimes, unfortunately. But um so yeah, I don't know if you could just speak about that at all, like um that connection that you made. I I yeah. I I love this because like the alternative to cultural appropriation. If appropriation, you know, at its basic level, it's stealing, right? It's going into someone else's culture, someone else's house, someone else's turf, taking their thing, biting their style, and then rocking it like it's your own. Mm. And it's not. Why do we do that? I literally sat and was thinking like, why did, you know, I had a friend in high school who I always wanted to to like wear the clothes she was wearing or have the cute shoes she had. Well, why? Because I felt like she was cool and I wasn't, right? It was like mm. I lacked something. And so, and that's a sort of superficial example, but it gets really deep and really heavy, you know, with, with cultural appropriation. And so why is it that one culture goes and takes or, or people from a dominant culture go and take the cultural resources, the spiritual resources, uh, the wisdom of another culture, and then like act like it's theirs to do whatever they want with. Well, it's a, it's a great gaping hole of like the void, you know, a lack of meaning, a lack of purpose and insecurity. And so it doesn't actually make one more whole to steal, to take in mm. that way. What does make us more whole is to explore inwards and say, well, what is it that comes from my ground of being? What is mm. it that I have to offer? What am I truly wanting to share with the world? And create, you know, and that might mean like going back into your family practices, exploring your ancestral root practices. You know, part of my family is, is from England and France, you know, and so, um, I like to say, you know, I'm not just oppressed. Like I also have oppressor in me. So many of us do. And, and so when I'm doing these explorations, I'm thinking about parts of myself and exploring those parts of myself as well as like, how can I connect to the indigenous, mm. the pagan um, practices in France, in England? And what might it mean to come from owning and living and being in that creative, expansive, grounded place, um, which isn't to say, you know, we can't like cross pollinate our cultural experiences. Of course we can. Right. But coming from that place of like wholeness and centeredness and wellness. And then I also think about how creativity is part of uh, basic Sumka philosophy one mm. of the six schools of Vedic knowledge. Mm -hmm. And the, in the understanding, there's purusha or consciousness and prakriti or pure creative power. And prakriti is, um, is that creative power that stirs the universe into expression. And we ourselves 
uh, are able to embody our our own lived like what's the word it's almost like eminence or emergence mm. into who we mo most truly are as we explore our basic kind of inherent creative nature that's part of what it means to embrace yoga's roots and to fully practice is to explore that within within yeah. our, like what is your you know prakriti what is your true expression um, and it doesn't have to be for money right like there are things i do i'm a terrible you're a beautiful artist you know but i'm a not a great artist but i love to doodle and draw Mm -hmm. Will I ever put that out publicly? No, because it's not for <laughs> others. It's for uh -huh. my own creative expression. You know, nothing, we don't have to do everything and like monetize it. You know, it can be yeah. creativity just yeah. for the sake of creating, just for the sake of pure life force, nature, consciousness yeah. moving through us. I love that because we talk about Purusha as being that consciousness or divine essence. And in yoga, it seems like we're always trying to get into that place, but actually getting into the body, like through asana and also like through creativity, getting into the the energy of Prakriti. That's like the the other piece of the puzzle, right? It's It's consciousness and its nature together. It's like God and creation joined. I think creativity gives us that connected, embodied experience. To me, it makes me like when I'm drawing and I'm in the flow, it's just like being in meditation. It's like there's really no difference there between the state of mind, being in that present moment of awareness and just being. It's quite powerful. Yeah, it really is. Well, thank you so much for that. Anything else you want to share? I just appreciate you so much. And this was such a great conversation. I'm so glad that you're part of this book. And I really recommend anyone who hasn't yet read your book that they get it. Um, hopefully they'll get my book too, but. Um, yeah, bundle it. Get them, get them both. Get <laughs> Order Jupiter's book. Uh, run book clubs. Yes, let's let's like expand this yoga revolution. That's what this is all about. Yeah. I appreciate you so much, Juna. Oh, yeah. great. You too. And Thank you. Family. Thanks so much for being here, Susanna. And we'll have links in our show notes to you and your work so people can find you there. Um, you know, thanks so much for being here and being part of the book. Thank you. And yeah, thanks to everyone listening and reading. Um, take this out, practice it, you know, let us know how it goes. We okay. are creating a movement. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Susanna. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening and joining the conversation. Yoga is truly a revolutionary practice. Thanks for being here. If you haven't already, I would love for you to read my book, Yoga Revolution, Building a Practice of Courage and Compassion. It's available wherever books are sold. Also, you can check out my website, jivanaheyman.com. There's some free classes on there and a meditation. And you can find out more about my upcoming trainings and other programs. Hope to see you next time. Thanks. Bye.